What's up, everybody? An extra show this week. Just something a little bit fun, a little bit creative, just to keep us entertained until the Celtics start playing again later today. This is going to be sort of a Q&A roundtable format. I'm joined by multiple members of Boston Media. I have Keith Smith. I have John Corrales. I have Tom Westerholm, Max Lederman, Jared Weiss, and Sam Packard, all of which are going to be kind of answering in a roundtable format. So I will ask a question, and then each person will give their answer to that question. Then we'll move to question two, and so forth, to six questions in total. So I'm going to play the intro, and then we're going to jump straight into it. And I will be back tomorrow with a normal podcast as usual. I hope everybody's keeping safe and well. I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What has been your biggest surprise of the season so far? I think Peyton Pritchard being this NBA ready um, right right out of the gate. I I was not uh, expecting much out of him this season. I thought he would take, you know, maybe a year, maybe even two years to come in and be a contributor. And here he is in his first year, 45, 40, 94 uh, shooting splits, 7.7 points per game off the bench. He's a really scrappy player. He loves to get in there and steal those offensive rebounds. I think he's held up better defensively than I thought he would. So him being a major contributor uh, right away as a rookie is easily the biggest surprise for me. My biggest surprise has to be Peyton Pritchard playing well for a rookie to come in, especially a guy at the end of the draft, at the end of the first round. I know he's a four-year guy, and you know I didn't, I didn't really realize how important that would be coming into this season. So him having the impact that he's had on this team and changing, I think, some of the perception of what the Celtics have, uh, you know, on the bench and, and, and who, what, which players uh, are going to make an impact for them. I think that that's been huge. No, I don't think anybody would have expected truly, honestly, that Peyton Pritchard would, would be this much of a contributor this fast. So uh, I'll go with him. Uh, that it's been bad. <laughs> I don't think anybody really expected it to go this bumpy. Uh, I, I mean, if we were recording this a week and a half or so earlier, it would sound a lot more gloomy. Obviously, we've seen that with Kemba Walker starting to play like Kemba Walker again, and really not even really back to his best, but just like back to being pretty good. They were a pretty radically different team. So, you know, I, I think that that gives you more reason for optimism that they're going to get even better as the year goes on, especially when Smart comes back. I think we're just seeing the impact of. Uh, how how big it is when one of your key players uh, is out and uh, for when you're a team that's as top-heavy as these guys are. So I think it's just been really surprising to see how drastic that impact is. But uh, it looks like the, uh, the dark days are behind them, and it should be a little bit smoother sailing from here on out. So for me, the biggest surprise of the season has been Jalen Brown. Um, not because I thought he would be bad or anything like that, but just because – you know, usually when he improves like this, he's had a lot of time to work and because he is a worker. He is in the gym all the time. He's made it very clear to us that he did not have enough time to uh, to like put in, you know, the usual offseason work. And so for him to come out and be such a no questions asked all star to be able to that we can all see 
you know, all the improvements that he's made in his game. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think he's just been really impressive so far this season. Uh, to me, I think would just be, you know, I'm going to say a player, and I think Shemi Ojale still from, you know, game one, you know, he hasn't been playing con- as consistently lately and not as well, but I still think the fact that he's an NBA player and a rotation player um, is still, you know, pretty surprising. And then I'd have to say also Jalen Brown's uh, improvement has, has been just blown me away. I, I knew he had uh, steps to take, but to continue every year to get better, it's just, uh, it's an inspiration for basketball players and for just people. The biggest surprise so far this season, I think, was to me, it's Peyton Pritchard. I just didn't expect him to be at all productive, and he certainly was just surprising me with his playmaking, his uh, ability to knock down long shots. I just didn't see that coming from uh, the small little white boy out of Oregon. So I think Peyton Pritchard um, is the biggest surprise. And what has been your biggest disappointment of the season so far? I think the way the Celtics have played defense in general, I I did not expect them to fall off. I did not come in thinking that they were going to be in first, second place or anything like that in the conference. I thought fourth would be around where they were. I didn't think they'd be 19 and 17, but that's, I think, kind of telling more about how the league as a whole is going, that everybody is kind of bunched together just barely over 500. But I thought they would defend much better. At the break, they're 19th in the league and defensive rating uh, per basketball reference. Uh, I know other places maybe have it slightly different, but they're all right around the same area. And that's been a major disappointment for me because this is a team that over the years, they've had seasons where they've struggled offensively, but they have always been a top 10-ish defensive team. And the way they've struggled this year is very disappointing. Uh, The biggest disappointment so far is the, the season itself. In that, I'm I'm even more disappointed in how the season is going in the NBA. Rather than I'm not just disappointed like the Celtics are disappointing. I'm tremendously disappointed that the NBA has chosen to put a season together this way, and that their decisions to jam uh, jam games that were reschedule that, that were postponed into February rather than tack them on to the end of the season or or put a, a second half schedule together that maybe lasted a little longer to, to do that specifically for the Celtics was a killer. Um, it it cost them, a significant number of games. Uh, Marcus Smart being out for the entire month of February, considering how many games that he missed, they tacked on what three extra games that he missed because they weren't supposed to be in that in that schedule. And just the the general jamming of games in the schedule to get back onto their normal timeline created this situation. And and, and it's not just for the Celtics; it's for everybody. And yeah, you know, now Jalen Brown is dealing with knee tendonitis when he shouldn't be. And now they're putting on an all-star game that shouldn't be played. And all of these things that put players at risk and take a look at, you know, Jason Tatum, Jason Tatum got COVID. And I don't know if he's still 
feeling a hundred percent. And what are the long-term implications of that? Does, does he, does he suffer anything long-term? Does something change in his physiology because of this that we don't know about? Uh, the fact that he even missed games, the fact that he even had to go through it at all, all of that stuff, just the way this entire NBA season has been put together is just horribly disappointing. And it's, it's really, it's really hurt my opinion of Adam Silver and the league and their decision-making in general. I probably should have saved that answer for this question. Right. Um, I, I, I think the biggest disappointment is, this is, I think just the way everyone's experienced it is the fact that they lost their probably fourth best player, or maybe even third best player in Gordon Hayward. And they literally did not replace him. And we all, you know, we knew that that was a kick the can down the road situation that they were going to, you know, complete the replacement process at either the deadline or next off season. But that's, that's disappointing, right? I mean, that's, that's a frustrating experience for people that are rooting for this team to win and aren't, you know, aren't enjoying the process of seeing them lose. I mean, for me, it doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, I just care about watching good basketball. I don't really care what the final score is, but I know for the fans, they certainly do. And so that makes it a pretty miserable experience for them. Well, I think the easy answer, or maybe the cop-out answer, is just kind of the Celtics at large, right? Like, you kind of expected them to – like, I think everybody knew that Gordon Hayward leaving would be, um, you know, damaging to the team. But obviously they played pretty well even without him, uh, you know, in the bubble. And, and when he was out um, during that time, you know, they still made a, a decent playoff run. So, um, you know, just kind of the way the team has, has slid backward a little bit, I, I think is it has to be kind of considered um, probably the biggest disappointment. So not necessarily a player, but just kind of the overall struggles. Uh, my biggest disappointment, I think, is the free agent signings that the Celtics had. I think Jeff Teague and Tristan Thompson, uh, you know, to lesser, you know, to di- varying degrees have been a disappointment. I thought after last season, I thought the Celtics needed a veteran with championship experience, a tough guy, you know, someone that can, you know, be a little muscle in there. And they got Tristan Thompson and, you know, they didn't have an offseason. He was hurt a little bit, so they didn't have a real training camp. And he's starting to come on a little bit lately, but I still, you know, I was expecting more. And Jeff Teague has been a net negative. You know, he's he's flashed in some games. He's just still just, he holds the ball way too long. He's not good enough to, the Celtics need another point guard, basically. And that's a shame because they got one that we thought could fill the third point guard role. And he's just not the answer. Now they have to go make a, a deal, I think. The biggest disappointment so far has to be Tristan Thompson to me. Um, I know a lot of people will probably say Jeff Teague, but I didn't have much uh, expectations for Teague. I think Tristan Thompson was uh, sold to Celtics fans as this kind of high-energy guy, and he's been that. He's done some good things on the offensive boards, but I just don't really know how he fits in offensively he doesn't seem to be uh much of a plus on the offensive end if he's not rebounding and i think his minutes take away from robert williams minutes and so i've just been kind of disappointed by the entire tristan thompson experience i just i I guess i had higher expectations for for him than what he's done so far what would you say is the best blooper of the season so far Uh, that's a good question um you know, I really don't know. Um, 
it, nothing necessarily you know, really comes to mind um, for for the the Celtics. I think uh, you know. Maybe, I'll give a slightly different answer. Um, it's not really a blooper, but my most favorite things now have become watching the bench reaction when they throw when anybody throws a lob to Robert Williams because uh, you know you're going to get some comedy gold out of somebody's reaction off the bench. The best blooper has to be any time Robert Williams gets a rebound and tries to outlet it without landing. Anytime he does that is just hilarity. Uh, followed by uh, Robert Williams trying to whip a pass across the court, but sending it off Jason Tatum's face and <laughs> turning it into a Washington Wizards fast break. Sorry, say that one more time. What do you think's the best blooper so far this season? <laughs> blooper. Wow. Um, every time Rob Williams makes a great rebound and then immediately lands and before even looking, throws it to the opposing team. Every time it happens, it is hilarious. Unfortunately, he's getting too good that he's not doing it that much anymore. But he was doing it almost on a nightly basis up until a week or so ago, and it was very entertaining to watch. So I, I saw this question, and, and I, I, you know, I gave it some thought, and I don't know that I have like a great answer for the biggest blooper, but I will say that um, one of my favorite things about the season is how much more Rob Williams we're getting because Rob Williams, like. Like he's like an immensely talented player, but also like every time he sits down in front of a microphone, he's just so uh, I don't know. He's just so open ended. He, he's so uh, willing to talk about things um, that it's not necessarily a blooper. It's just you don't always get a guy who's as willing to talk as Rob is, which uh, um, even if he doesn't say a lot, he, he's giving you the unvarnished truth. And, uh, you know, hopefully that leads to some bloopers down the road, because whenever it's Rob, it's a good time. Uh, the ass pass that Trey Young did on Grant Williams that uh that was you know one of the darkest moments of the season for the Celtics and I think at that stage we were just leaning in lean into the 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 chaos you know make all the badness happen cuz you know what do you got to lose so I was actually happy that was funny to me I wasn't sad I was disappointed uh the best blooper so far I mean, Payne Pritchard stepping out of bounds constantly has gotten to be pretty funny, but I do think it is a couple games ago, Robert Williams just firing the ball off Jason Tatum's head. I think he was trying to pass the ball to someone on the three-point line, but basically two-hand toss right off the dome. Uh, Robert Williams' passing is always going to be entertaining, but when he messes up, he uh, makes sure to mess up uh, pretty spectacularly. Who are your top three TPE targets? Uh, I would say my first one is Harrison Barnes. Uh, I think he is somebody who would fill a ton of needs for this team. Um, as a 3-4, Danny Ainge said he wants shooting with size. Barnes is that. Uh, so he, he would be my first guy. I would want to see them go after if they really wanted to go bigger and use uh, the bulk of it. I am not opposed to bringing back Al Horford. Uh, I think he is a guy who would make a lot of sense uh, for the Celtics. I think you, you could do that and arrange that. And also, you know, take care of the other bigs as well if you wanted to to go that direction. And then, you know, it's 
I know people, you know, probably want me to say somebody like Jeremy Grant or someone like that, but I'm very much on record that that's not realistic and that that is not going to happen. So I, it's at that point, what I would rather see them do is split it up and bring in, you know, maybe two or three guys who make smaller salaries uh, because I think that those guys will, would make a lot more sense uh, for the Celtics for where they're at because I think that is, um, you know, I, I think they need. Uh, they're only a couple players away, but I think they've got to get to a position where you're um, spending the TPE wisely. Um, so if you wanted to go, you know, a couple smaller salaries like, like the Manya Bielitsa, uh use part of it to get a guy like him, and then um, you know, it, it, at that point, if you wanted to even go, um, you know, get get somebody else, uh, you know, who's on a smaller uh, type salary where you could split it and bring in. It's someone along the lines of a Wayne Ellington or, well, he's on a minimum contract. So I guess he doesn't really qualify, but guys like that, that's what I think you're really looking at uh, versus, you know, let's, uh, you know, spend, spend it all in one place. Cause I don't think guys like Jeremy Grant, Nick Vucevic, Aaron Gordon are overly are realistic. I'll go with I'll go with Aaron Gordon number one because he fits I think he fits into what the Celtics need and he's all he also fits financially where the Celtics can make it work without worrying about the money. Obviously they're gonna have to give up something anyway, but they can make it work regardless. Harrison Barnes is right there. So they're both kind of like tied for number one for various reasons. I think Harrison Barnes is a more, I think he might be a better fit. Money's a little bit different and the Celtics have to maneuver. So that, that changes, you know, the, the fit on the team is better with Harrison Barnes. The ability to make the trade is better with Aaron Gordon and that kind of cancels out. So put them as a tie for the, you know, number one. And then my third, which is, up for great debate, but um, I might go Terrence Ross as a, a a scoring wing who can kind of create and can either come off the bench or start. And the, you know the Celtics the Celtics need a guy that can spot up. They need a guy who can score. And I think he makes something like thirteen million. So you can easily get him with the TPE. You don't have to worry about matching and all this other stuff. You you can make it work. So I'm gonna I'm gonna put him number three, but you ask me the same question tomorrow and it'd be a different answer, probably. I think the top if you're gonna spend the TPE, it's gotta be on someone who is gonna dramatically raise your ceiling. It's gonna be a key core guy. And you know, Harrison Barnes is like someone that everyone's thrown out there, and he's a very clean fit, and I think will be very good. But I just wouldn't put him in my top three. Uh, I, I think the top three of people that could be realistically available, I I still have Aaron Gordon at the top spot for using that that Hayward TPE. You know, John, I would put John Collins maybe ahead of him at this point, but Collins is only making like two and a half million, so it's not really on that list. But I, I still think that Aaron Gordon in this system where he has pretty much no shot creation responsibilities, 
Uh, it doesn't even have to be the main defender on the best players every single night. I really think that's going to open up his game. But after that, Lonzo Ball has had a really good year. He's really starting to put his game together. He's shooting consistently from deep now. He's a very good playmaker, even if he probably wouldn't be well cast as the primary point guard for a team, but he doesn't need to be on the Celtics team. So the, the only tricky thing with bringing in a guard like Lonzo, um, or a, he's a wing really, is that I don't think he can play the four. I'm, I'm, I haven't really seen him defend large wings or even bigs very much in his career. So I don't think that would work. And I think that if they're going to continue on with Kemba and Marcus Smart, they're probably looking somebody that can kind of bridge the four five part in the rotation. So I just kind of worry about spending that huge resource on someone that probably is not going to be closing out games for you. But that could be bringing in Lonzo could be step one in a pretty significant overhaul that includes moving on from Kemba or Marcus Smart possibly. Uh, and then number three, honestly, I don't think there's really anybody out there that is a good like a good target at number three that is realistically available. But I, I would probably say Larry Nance in Cleveland's it fits the bill pretty nicely and at least like filling a role that the team is really looking to fill. And he's making enough money that he would probably qualify to that DBE and he's entering his prime now. I think he's the same age as Harrison Barnes. So he at least is young enough that he's going to be in his prime over the next few years. So I think number one is Harrison Barnes. Um, I just think the Celtics could really use a three, four. Um, obviously he's, uh, you know, like a, like a very talented guy, like relatively, uh, you know, re- relatively versatile, maybe not the greatest defender in the world, but he is, he's, he's decent on that end. Um, I think Vucevic is interesting. Uh, I, I don't know that like he's necessarily like, I don't think the Celtics need another big necessarily, but I do appreciate the idea of sort of having that floor spacing big at the top of the key, different player than Al Horford, certainly, but similar in that he is that floor spacing dribble handoff kind of guy. And then I think if you're looking a little bit smaller, I think Larry Nance is a great option. Um, super versatile defender. Uh, you know, somebody who just kind of, you could plug him in right away. There's not going to be a whole lot of question about role. You know, I think he's going to definitely know where he is. Um, if the Celtics acquired him in, in kind of the hierarchy of the team. So I think those are the kind of the three guys that I would be keeping an eye on if I was Boston. So there's a couple ways you can go with the TPE if you want to trade it in season or out of season. But I think my number one guy has got to be Thaddeus Young. I think that he would fit really well. He's already coming off the bench for the Bulls, and they run the offense through him. He's just a distributor. You know, The Celtics already kind of run some of that with Tristan Thompson at the top of the key, you know, passing it down low. So I think Thaddeus would fit in great and just add another vet, another guy who's hungry, who wants to win, who's got playoff experience. You know, his – He's not a great three-point shooter, but he's also not terrible. He's having a uh, down season, but he shot, you know, a decent clip last year on a high amount of attempts. So I think he'd be my number one guy. I think uh, another bull would be Thomas Sadoransky. Uh, like if you're going to go with one of the other TPEs, not the big Gordon Hayward one. And if you're going to really shoot for a star, maybe in the off season, I like Zach Levine. I know this is all Chicago here, but... Zach Levine's a guy that I think is on the right timeline. It would be a perfect fit with the Jays, you know, to just have a nice offensive core. And who knows what kind of defender he is. He's never really been asked to. He looks terrible now at defense, but that guy can score. He's got, you know, he's got a clutch gene. He can light it up. And he's way more efficient than I think people realize when you look at his numbers. 
Number one, Harrison Barnes. I think he fits in perfectly. Tall guy who can kind of take a back seat, but it still uh, has the defensive versatility. Then I would go Aaron Gordon. And three, I'd say Larry Nance. I just like anyone with size who gives you a little bit of versatility and can shoot the three a little bit. And who, outside of Tatum and Brown, who are your most free tradable names on the roster right now? Um, oh, Value being highest, I would say, is probably guys like Robert Williams, Daniel Tice, um, you know, clearly Tatum and Brown. Marcus Smart's value is always going to be very high. I don't think Smart is overly tradable because I don't think the Celtics would move him in a trade. So I would go with Daniel Tice, Robert Williams, and then probably – I would say Tristan Thompson, uh, just because he, he's kind of got that veteran reputation of been there, done that, and he's got a very um, easily moved contract. I, I know that takes all the younger players outside of Williams out of the mix, but I just don't know how much value there is for all, for those kind of guys. And I just don't think Smart is uh, somebody Boston's going to move unless it's an absolutely massive home run kind of trade. In terms of value, um. Well, okay. I think the most putting aside Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, because obviously they're the most tradable guys and you get a a ton for them, but they're obviously not being traded. Um, I think Robert Williams is the next most valuable trade asset in that he is young and promising. and, And I think most teams in the league would at least listen if his name came up. Um, I think if the Celtics were trying to make a trade for a veteran and they were looking to like tack on young guys, I think him, um, I think like Aaron Neesmith, Romeo Langford, like those, the wings, I'll put Langford ahead of Neesmith, but I think Neesmith has shown enough. So you've got athletic rim running big who can pass and is young and is in his third year and is is starting to get it. And then you have rangy switchable wings who are varying degrees of their development for a young team or a team looking to get younger. Those are two intriguing guys that I think you can you can sell a fan base on as hey, Neesmith could be a shooter and maybe a three and D guy that we need or same with Langford. Uh, Marcus smart would probably be number one. I mean, Tatum and Brown are certainly not tradable. Uh, Daniel Tice is very tradable. He's you know, making only 5 million, having another good season. And I, they're not going to trade Rob Williams. Uh, I don't think there's any way he, he ends up on the market at this point. So, uh, I would probably say Romeo Langford. No, that doesn't make sense because uh, he, he's. I think he's the prospect that people would be most interested in, but probably not. I guess probably Peyton Pritchard. Peyton Pritchard is a very is a very tradable player. I think every team in the NBA would be happy to have him. He's obviously on a great contract. He's in the first year of the rookie scale deal for the twenty six pick, so he's you know dirt cheap and he's a good role player. Yeah, I mean, I think the, like the most, I think for the Celtics perspective, I think either you can say Aaron Neesmith and Romeo Langford. I think you're probably looking at one of those guys 
um, like, you know, whichever one the other team would prefer. Um, I think you'd probably like to hang on to one if you're Boston. Um, but, you know, if another team is comes calling, obviously one of those guys, you know, has to be included. And then I think, you know, like I know people are going to want to say, uh, you know, Marcus Smart, uh, just because, you know, he's a guy who has like a lot of trade value. I think, and Celtics fans might not like this very much. I think that there is a case to be made that uh, that Rob Williams, um, you know, he, he's he's imp- increased his trade value quite a bit. I think there's there's definitely some buzz around him league wide. Um, I don't think the Celtics are looking to trade him. I don't I don't necessarily think they should, but I do think that teams will probably um, be asking about him uh, if the Celtics call. So I uh, wouldn't be surprised to hear his name just start to float around, even if it's from other teams. Uh, Time Lord Robert Williams is got to be. I think he's got the most value on the team. He's played great. You know, if you're Danny Ainge, do you strike while the uh, the iron's hot, or you know, is this the guy who you're going to have? I think he's a difference maker for the Celtics. But I think any big trade, like if you're going to go for a Vucevic, you know, or a Zach Levine type, if you're going to try to get a an All Star level player, it has to start with Robert Williams. So he's definitely the most tradable. I think Marcus Smart's going to be on a lot of teams' list, but hopefully. Uh, that doesn't happen because I just think that he's way more valuable than I think you could get something for. Like, I just think he's more valuable to the Celtics than he would be in a trade. But his salary, the way it is, would probably be a good a good trade piece. And then you can pick your Romeo Langford or Aaron Neesmith. You know, underwhelming number 14 picks that you know, are still, you know, super young and, and have promise and I think hold value. Tristan Thompson... Shemi Ojale and Javante Green. I think you're not that's and I'm gonna get a lot of value back for them. Um, but I think those guys are kind of the ones you could move uh and not really uh miss much um if they were involved in a trade. And finally, how much do you miss actually being in the locker room compared to being on Zoom calls? Um, yeah, I miss it. I I miss the ability to talk one-on-one with a guy, uh, pull him aside, whether it be a shoot around or practice and have a good conversation, whether that's a player or a coach or someone, uh, from the front office staff. I miss, uh, I just miss being in the arena, watching live basketball with a crowd. Um, I really miss that, that part of it. It's, um, it's literally my, uh, probably my favorite place to be in the world is in the gym, uh, watching basketball. It doesn't really matter where it is. Um, but I I love that. So I, I really do miss that. Uh, I miss it so much. I miss it so much. I miss face-to-face interaction with these guys. I miss being able to see with my own eyes what's happening in a locker room. I it's and I say this not to be like, oh, woe is me. It's just the fact of the matter. Covering this team is so difficult. Covering any team is so difficult when you're just doing it over a Zoom. Because over Zoom, the team can say, these are the three guys. We have no input. I can't go up to a locker room. I can't go up to a locker. And if they say, hey, tonight you're getting Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Kemba Walker, but I saw something from you know, Peyton Pritchard that I wanted to talk about, I could go up to Peyton Pritchard's locker and be like, hey, Peyton, you got a minute? And ask him a question. And I got some of my better stories the last time I was in a locker room by 
going up to guys who weren't going to be in the scrums. And so that it, it makes my job just that much harder. I'm trying to I'm trying to tell fans stories about this team. And I'm relegated to the whatever the team wants to give us. And within that, within the video element, they get to control, you know, how much how much time we have. It, 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 it's very, very limiting. And just from a job perspective and from a personal perspective, I want to tell unique stories. And everyone on the beat has a different background, which means we see the game a little bit differently. And we focus on different things. And we all, if we all have our opportunities to get one-on-ones and ask our own questions, that doesn't get out into the ethos because I had to ask it on a scrum on a Zoom that's going to get posted on YouTube. When I get to ask that question myself, I get to tell my own version of that story. And just professionally, that means I that gets more views that gets me more you know exposure it like telling those stories are is how you advance you know and and if i can't go out there and write unique stories then it it hurts it hurts me professionally because as much as everybody you know like i like being at boston sports journal and maybe i'll never leave boston sports journal but there are other opportunities out there and everybody understands that no matter who you are, where you are, whether you're at the globe, the Herald mass live Boston sports journal, the athletic, if another great opportunity comes along, you, you have to take it. And, and those are decisions that you make for your own future. So it takes away from a lot. Um, and frankly, I just miss being in there. Um, there's less naked people. So, you know, that that's probably a negative, uh, but, and I do have to wear pants when I'm in the locker room. So that's also a negative, but yeah, not being able to do the work you do as a journalist of sidling up to players, just seeing players in person and having even just like meaningless small talk, uh, doing all the, you know, just being able to kind of have those small conversations with people on a daily basis that you do that helps you not just build up your sourcing as a journalist, but just like be able to keep in touch with people that you'd like to talk to. You know, that's the part that you obviously really miss. Ah, oh, man. Um, I def I miss it a lot. Uh, obviously that's, that's where all of the best stories come from. Uh, you know, that, that's where all of the little, the little nuggets, the little interesting bits, the little minutiae. I, I mean, I love sports minutiae. I think that's, I think that's what makes, you know, kind of my job fun. Um, so to just kind of be missing that uh, is, is definitely, uh, it's definitely a hit this year. And uh, obviously, you know, I'm glad that everybody's, you know, staying as safe as they can. Um, but you definitely do miss, uh, you know, telling some of those stories in the locker room, especially in a season like this one, where it's just been so, so odd and such a, such an odd experience, I think for everyone that, you know, to not really be able to capture it the way we usually do is, is definitely, uh, definitely disappointing. So, yeah, I mean, uh, one of many, many reasons why I'm excited for whenever uh, life does go back to normal. We'll be getting back in the locker room for sure. So that's interesting. I have, you know, 
a couple times a season, I usually am in the locker room uh, filling in for people or going on the road. So, you know, it's a good experience. And for me, honestly, I miss just seeing the other reporters and uh, you know, members of the media who I just converse with on Twitter all the time and just to see them in person and they could see how short I am and I can see how tall they are um, or the opposite. Maybe they think I'm super tall, but I doubt it. Uh, so I miss that kind of, you know, I, I miss that about life in general, just seeing people. But um, as far as like the locker room access with the players, during the bubble, it was really great. The Zooms, they were coming out within 10 minutes. Uh, so for our purposes on the post-game show, it was great. You know, they were coming out quick. But now they've gotten back to the, you know, the old KG mode where, you know, we don't even get Kemba Walker on our hour-long post-game show sometimes because he takes so long to come out. But um, so I miss the I miss the the element. And I do think that you, you know, for the players, you get better. You know, there's more, uh, I want to say combativeness maybe, you know, with the media when they're there. You know, they can kind of look at the the media member and judge them. <laughs> but did you really just ask me that? You know, I miss kind of that, maybe not necessarily with the Celtics, but just in general, I miss that around the league, seeing seeing guys get a little hot and bothered because, you know, we just need a little bit of excitement. It's mostly nonsense anyway. Oh, I want to be back in the locker room. I went to the, I actually went to the game against the Wizards, and it's just so weird being in a garden where it's empty, and it's just they do all the pregame stuff. Um just for no one it was a bizarre experience but i'd love to be able to kind of like go back and actually talk to the guys it'd be so much better